Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And on this episode, we are in my wheelhouse. This is my, uh, well, you'd think so, but like, oh God, I'm trying to find ways to hype this up, but this was a difficult list to put together, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I know it's, it's, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was a struggle. And it was, I, I felt like I had to do more research than I normally do, and uh, none of it was pleasant. Yeah, exactly. This was, we labor to entertain you people. <laughs> We are, just the two of us in here today, we are doing another set of dueling lists. We are bashing together our list of the top five video game movies. And, uh, who? oh, actually, this was actually one of the topics that was suggested to us, wasn't it? Do we have the the, the yeah. identity of the, of the accused? That one came from Charles. That one came from Charles. Okay, Charles, I, uh, you have negatively impacted my life <laughs> preparing for this. <laughs> Um, but so, but still, we appreciate you as an audience member. Thank you, Charles. I hope you appreciate the just the last few days of watching all this crap that I put in for you. <laughs> Do we need to go over that at the start? Like, is it? It's probably possible that some people listening to this podcast have never watched a video game movie and don't think they don't understand, right? Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, I mean. It's a tough thing to say, you know, when you say that uh, something is a comic book movie, basically that means you're, it's a superhero movie. That's, it's not always one-to-one, but that's generally what you mean. When you say something's a video game movie, it's a much broader field. It's a, there's a lot more variety to it, and yet somehow they have yet to really nail it. It's, it's, that's, that's why there was such a struggle. Video game movies in general are terrible. I mean... It's an outmoded idea for sure, right? Like it, it, it comes from you know, like twenty years ago, maybe more than twenty now. We got old, but it comes from like the you know the nineties when like video games were weird toys for dorks, but movies were still cool and art. And so, like, if people would have favorite video games and want them to be a movie based on that video game, kind of like because that would lend it an air of legitimacy, right? You know, if a movie was, if if a, if a game was so good that it could become a movie, like wow, what a great, like, like, you know, now everyone can see the game. Now it's like not only has that, I was going to say, uh, has that scale balanced out, but it's kind of tipping in the other direction. Depending on the game, yeah, for sure. I'm just thinking, like, you know, the, even before the pandemic, theater audiences were you know at an all time low, and meanwhile, all these big like franchisees are desperate, just like tripping over themselves to get their characters into Fortnite, where people can see them, right? Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but at the time, man, and like, and let's be clear, some of the movies we're going to be talking about on this list are pretty recent, but it's just like at the time when they were just desperate cash-ins, and it just it just has sort of carried down like water pouring down one of those fancy fountain sculptures just this this curse that video game movies aren't great a lot of the time when you watch a video game movie it's for the fun of how terrible these movies are so coming up with the top five <laughs> woof. yeah yeah I, we really it would have been probably more fun for us and arguably easier to come up with a, a worst movies list, worst video game movies list, and, and maybe we'll do that at some point. But this was tough, and I think part of the reason for it, and, and I'm going to keep comparing it to comic books because they're both 
adaptations into this medium. But a comic book is formatted kind of similarly to storyboards, and storyboards are often one of the first steps in making a movie. And so it can be a bit more of an easy translation if you know what you're trying to do. With video games, it, it in some ways it feels like a much closer style, you know, they're both narrative moving figures on a screen. And and so you'd think it might be a bit more one-to-one, but the storytelling style is so different from what you do in a video game to what you do, what you enjoy in a movie that I think that's the major stumbling block. That's yeah. What... It's, it's taking an interactive medium and making it passive. And then I, I, I you're, you're losing half the sauce, right? Like half the thing that makes that game work is that you're in it, kinda. Yeah, and and I know this is again changing uh, beneath our feet, but it's never been that fun for me to watch someone else play a video game. And sometimes that's what these movies are like. It's just like watching someone play a video game, and you have no control over it. And at least to my mind, that's not the fun part of a video game. It's the puzzle solving and using the controls yourself and the interactivity of it. With the remove, you lose all that, and in so many of these movies, it just they takes they takes like the puzzle solving aspect of it, and and has these fictional characters doing it, and makes it so much less interesting to me. So on that note, that's why this is a <laughs> terrible thing. But here's our list of the top five video game movies, <laughs> and sit back and enjoy. <laughs> We're Graham, doing, why don't you why don't you kick us off? We're doing the dueling list again, and I I don't know we we haven't talked about it much ahead of time, and we never do with these things. But sometimes I get a sense that we're gonna have very similar lists. This time I really think there's gonna be a lot of variety. But let's see how close I am. My number five was a surprise to me, and maybe a surprise to everyone listening to Prince of Persia: The Sands of Time. I don't have it on my list. So this came out in, I believe, 2010. It was directed by Mike Newell, who's he's got a very interesting career where he does these sort of literary indie-type movies, and then he'll switch and do gigantic action movies. And this was definitely one of the gigantic action ones. But you'd think it would be kind of like when Sam Mendes does a Bond movie where he brings a lot of character stuff to it and, and lets the professional Bond people deal with the action scenes. Uh, that, I mean, if that's what happened here, it doesn't show it's, it's, and this is one of, (laughs) this is one of the top ones, but man, it was a bit of a struggle to sit through. I think one of the things it did really well and better than some of the movies higher on the list is how it used the mechanic of the game. One of the things that, that makes the game interesting is that you can time travel in it only for a couple of seconds, but you can go back and undo mistakes. It's kind of like, it's very literally explained like a rewind. Like yeah, you, you make a mistake, you just jump back a little bit and do something different. And very and cool I, game mechanic. It is, and I think they did a really good job of translating it into the movie and making it an interesting plot feature. And I'll say, at first, when it was introduced, I was like, "I'm glad they're using this sparingly because it could get exhausting if they just did it over and over again." But almost immediately after it's introduced, the MacGuffin that makes it work runs out, and the part of the rest of the movie is trying to find more of the sand that lets him rewind time. And so there's huge stretches of the movie where you, they, no one uses or can use the one thing that makes this an interesting, unique movie. And so that was a bit of a struggle. But 
unlike other times in higher in the list where the mechanics of the game are introduced in the movie and it it just feels like you're watching a game this was done well it was a cool effect and it kept bringing it back to a, a, an interesting place that took it out of being a generic wannabe Indiana Jones movie so I guess that's, I mean, just out of curiosity, like in the original Prince of Persia game, it was basically like you're trapped in a dungeon, escape, and you can rewind time sometimes. Presumably there's a little bit more to it in the movie. Yeah, there's all this uh, drama and intrigue. I mean, let's, I, I should have started by saying that even 10 years later from when this movie came out, there it's, it's pretty pr- problematic from a modern viewpoint. It's the Prince of Persia. It's set in the Middle East, and yet almost every actor you see is American or British. And Jake mm. Gyllenhaal has to... Everyone speaks with a British accent, including Jake Gyllenhaal, who's the star of the movie. He's... Uh, there's all this palace intrigue, and uh, Ben Kingsley is the, the younger brother of the current king, and you spend... Part of the movie sort of thinking he's one of the good guys, and yet in one of the worst twists of all time, because you've cast Ben Kingsley in it, it turns out he's the evil villain. Uh, there's just, it's, it's uh, Alfred Molina shows up as this awful merchant. They, none of it really hangs together well. It all comes down to, for me, the use of the, the special <laughs> effect and the, the, that tool. So it's a good gimmick, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, uh, another sort of semi-disappointing part is that the big third-act twist kind of negates everything that came before. And so I watched it, I was like, wow, like, it I mean, undoes I, I don't the think whole you movie. Need to, I don't think you need to worry about spoilers for a 10-year-old video game movie. <laughs> Do you want to just hit us? Yeah, well, the... the 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 MacGuffin, the Dagger of Time, or whatever it's called, that lets you rewind a minute. But he goes to this cave. He's fighting Ben Kingsley for access to this thing. Ben Kingsley wants to rewind all the way back to his childhood so he can kill his... He can let his brother be killed instead of saving him so that he'll become king. Uh, he and Jake Gyllenhaal are fighting over the sword, and they rewind to the beginning of the movie. And then uh, and the, now Jake Gyllenhaal knows that Ben Kingsley's the bad guy and confronts him and stops him before the rest of the movie continues. So it just feels like everything I've watched is immediately undone and didn't count. It's almost like a dream sequence. (laughs) I mean, but the whole point is the time travel. Like it's, I guess so, but I like when it's just like a minute and it lets you undo one little problem. And, and I, by the end of the movie, there's, you know, he's back to that limitation if he has it at all. But yeah, the politically and and socially, there's a lot of stuff in it that has not aged well. Right, not like video games, which are always <laughs> like historically have always been just really woke and well balanced and respectful of all genders, races, cultures, and identities. Yeah, well, we might get to some of those later in the list too. Just one or two. <laughs> okay, should we move on? I yeah. What's what's your number five? Sure, my number five. I um. And again, this has been a difficult task, so stuff has been floating around as I try to decide what's better than others. But I ended up slotting in Silent Hill as my number five. I, um, I've never seen it. It's not on my list. I wish I had had a chance to see it, because I, I have a feeling it might have cracked mine, too. It's not awful most of the time. 
So, I mean, that's what fits pretty well for our number five. And considering the bar we're dealing with, it's not bad. Silent Hill came out in 2006. It's based off of a video game of the same name. Uh, came out on PlayStation in 1999. Uh, it features a whole bunch of people I've never heard of and Sean Bean as a last-minute addition to the cast, which i got to get back to because it's hilarious. And also uh, the same lady who played the Borg Queen is in this as an evil oh. church lady person. Um, so she's pretty cool. But uh, anyway, the, the original video game of Silent Hill is sort of a... It's, it was a huge milestone in survival horror video games. Um, you like they, they went with the concept like, you're just an everyday man and things are going crazy and how do you deal with it? And man, playing Silent Hill as a kid, and like it's like, I have a very active memory of the time this game scared the bejeebers out of me. <laughs> I I kept, like literally threw the controller and ran out of the room. Um, it was it was kind of a mix of psychological horror and creeping dread and jump scares, uh, which is a formula that a lot of horror tries to get right and blows. But this game got it, and the movie does an okay job of recreating it. Um, it's it's got Sean Bean and his wife, uh, who's actually it's. I've never heard of her, but her name's Rada Mitchell. Doesn't look like she ever did anything. Um, they've adopted a little girl who sleepwalks. When she sleepwalks, she's screaming about this town, Silent Hill. And they do some research and discover that it's this like American ghost town. It's been closed down because it's dangerous. Apparently, a coal mine like is like on fire underground, and there's fumes, so no one can be there. So obviously, the mother decides the best way to get to the bottom of the sleepwalking thing is to take the little girl there, because. <laughs> You know, what other option would you have, right? Uh, so they go to Silent Hill, and then it's, it's everything is freaking eerie, and there's weird, not-quite-human creatures living there, and every once in a while, it like the town seems to like get sucked into a hell dimension or something kind of, which is a mechanic lifted straight from the game. And, it, uh, and it's not bad. The game does this too, where it's like, you know, you go to the creepy abandoned school and it's bad enough, but then you get to the hell dimension version of it and you know, all of a sudden it's barbed wire everywhere and creepy monsters. And, and if you've ever heard of the horror monster Pyramid Head, this is where he comes from. Uh, and the movie is, like, like it, like the video game, it doesn't answer all the questions, but it tries to set up a fairly compelling horror explanation for what's going on. It leans very heavily into the, like, you know, scary ghost girl thing, right. which, frankly, has been done better elsewhere. But they, they go with it, and it's sort of appropriate. It's not bad, except for two things. Like, first off... The addition of Sean Bean in this, like, it's incredibly clear. Like, he has almost zero time with any of the other cast members in this movie. It's incredibly clear they put him in, I don't, either because they were worried about the majority of the cast being women, or just that because nothing in this movie is really explained. So while mom and adopted daughter are trying to find each other in horrible haunted town, there's this whole B plot with Sean Bean like going through records and trying to figure out what happened to the town and he gets confronted by this cop who doesn't want him explaining anything and you feel like you can tell where this is going well you're wrong cuz Sean Bean doesn't find anything and the cop finally convinces him to go home and he goes home <laughs> that's so bizarre and because of that i guess at the end of the third well, i guess fourth act the the demon like literally pauses the movie and 
explains to the audience what's happening. Like over a film reel effect of like, like literally the protagonist gets through a tough situation and then this voiceover like, okay, you made it. Here's your reward. The truth. So in 1973, when this city first came, it was founded by these people, and this is how... And you spend five or six minutes watching this, like, documentary about the movie? <laughs> it's exposition. Yeah, just pure exposition. It's, it's so bizarre. And then they bring all the characters back to have, like, the final climactic battle scene and yada, yada, yada. It's a cool horror movie. Um, it's on this list because it is competent, <laughs> which a lot of video game movies aren't. So I'm not saying go out and watch it. Um, I, I rented it for five bucks, and I don't know if I got my money's worth. But this one, kind of like how you were saying with Prince of Persia, how it took the gimmick from the game and made it show up on the big screen, they do do that. They're, they're very loyal to the design of the game, how it looks. Like If you are a fan of the game, you'll watch this movie and go, oh, yeah, that thing, and that's cool. And also, it mostly flows from A to B to C to D, which is fine. It's it's fine. The, and I, I, that, it's, I know that's not a great recommendation, <laughs> but like compared to other video game movies, it was a breath of fresh air at the time. The other thing that I know from the games, I haven't really played the games either, and it's sort of weird that the franchise is dead considering how big it was, but uh, there's the faceless nurses. Do they show up in this? They do show up in this. Okay. Very specifically. Yeah, one of the iconic monster types. It, I mean, I don't know how much we want to go into about the game, but like the whole thing is that like the nightmare world is created by like this little girl who's been going through all this stuff. And so everything that's there or like she's scared when she's in the hospital. And that's like and so she sort of villainizes the, the nurses in her head. And that's where the nurse monsters come from. Like, ah. There's an explanation sort of for all these things. But yeah, the the Silent Hill nurses with the bent backwards legs and the weird gait, they're they're in there and they actually look pretty cool. Cool creature design. That's important for cuz the the creatures are cool in the video game from what I've seen, but they're also the graphics were what? PS1, PS2, they they Yeah, PS1. It's pretty polygonal. Yeah, yeah there's no no confusing it with reality. So to try and translate that into a movie, I, I imagine that took some some doing. Yeah, heroic effort. Um, and and again, so transparent at some point. Someone said, there isn't enough here. I mean, I guess Sean Bean must owe us a favor. Let's get him in and shoot some scenes. It's bizarre. But, I mean, Sean Bean, and he doesn't die at the end. So, like, it's delightful. Unless he was dead all along. Uh, well, the way this movie ends, it looks like the mother... I don't know. At the at the end of the movie, Sean Bean's at home and missing his family, and the mother and the little girl are in like an alternate, not in a nightmare dimension, but an alternate world version of their home. And it might not be the little girl anymore. It might like it. Oh, it's no. not very clear. Which is very Silent Hill, leaving a lot open. But uh, but yeah. Yeah, fun, quick, quick aside. You mentioned it's weird that the series is dead. Um, Silent Hill in the video game world is most recently famous for the PT demo on PS4. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. Was this very yeah. unnerving. Just this, this online demo for something called PT showed up. You could download to your PlayStation 4, and it turned out to be this 
incredibly bizarre sort of bottle episode horror game uh, that if you survived and beat it, which wasn't easy, um, that it turned out it was a trailer for the next big Silent Hill game, and then the whole franchise got shut down, and as part of a dispute with Sony, they removed it from the PlayStation Store, and now the game, like, you can't get it anywhere, and people will go to eBay and try to sell you a PS4 for $1,000 because it has PT on it. It's created this whole, like, meta mystique around it. You know, the demo that was so scary that they had to pull it from the store. <laughs> They're not making the game anymore. Yeah. And, be- and the game does all this mind-bendy stuff. Like, one of the puzzles has to be solved while the game is paused because it's not really paused. It's breaking the fourth wall. Very scary stuff. It's It sounds like one of those things where because it's not available anymore, it's... Risen in people's esteem more than it has any right to, you know. When something I mean, gets it, it lost, has, it has risen for sure. But it was also very good. That's true. So, so if I can't remember, was it? I don't remember whose uh, PlayStation we we played it on. But uh, if, John Steven, uh, so who's been on this podcast a couple times, most recently our BattleTech episode. I think he still got it. Wow, man, we should yeah. sell that PS4. <laughs> Maybe. F- final note, this was a, a dramatically Canadian production. Lots of Ontario in it. Like, I don't know if that's a good thing, but always nice to see, you know, familiar. a lot of it was filmed in Brantford, apparently. Huh. Um, so, CanCon. Home Go of for that. Wayne Gretzky, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, because I would know. <laughs> but, yeah, let's move on. Okay, so my number four is Tomb Raider. Ah, okay, it... It didn't make my list. It was on there for a while. And then you have to be more specific because there are yeah. a lot of Tomb Raider movies. <laughs> well, I, it's uh, to, to, by my count, it's the third Tomb Raider movie, the, the most recent one with Alicia Vikander and, as Lara Croft. Gotcha. Okay. This didn't make my list, but I have seen this one. Yeah. And I, I saw the like, so many of these video game movies. I saw them ages and ages ago. I've, I have seen the, the first two Tomb Raider movies, but it was so long ago and I couldn't find them streaming to the best of my memory. Those sort of she's already established and, and she's out in the world and doing everything. This is an uh, an origins movie for sure. Alicia Vikander plays uh, plays Lara Croft. Um, she's she's a bike courier. She's going around uh, uh, doing that and, and doing some UFC fighting. And then you find out that she's not just this hard scrabble girl trying to find her way in the world. She's the the heir to this Bruce Wayne-esque fortune that her father has left behind in the Croft company. And she can't... She's, she could have access to it, but she has to sign this form saying that her father's dead. But she just thinks he's missing. And uh, she goes on this, she finds this puzzle thing. And this is, like, the puzzles in the game are neat, and you have to turn things and find the right things. Watching her do this in the movie is somewhat laborious and boring to watch. And then they it just reaches levels of, of absurdity for a movie that's, at least on the face of it, trying to be, like, gritty and real. Like, she's, her bike career race, she's, like, skidding around, and, and it's all trying to have this this feeling of, of reality to it. And then mm. she gets this key from this tube that unlocks a hidden letter in her father's uh, grave that opens a, a tomb door that leads to a secret lair underground where her father's been working on this crazy case to stop a mysterious terror. 
So she goes on an adventure to Asia and meets this guy who was the son of uh, Laura's father, or sorry, the the son of Laura's father's associate. And the two of them go on this trip to an island where the the father had was that was his last known destination. They go and get captured by this evil guy, as is always the way. And he's he's looking for the thing that that Laura's father was. Lars' father's alive. She rescues him. He's gone a little crazy. He's been on this island for nine years. They they get captured again, and and it turns out that this mysterious terror isn't just a, a it's not like a myth. It's a disease, and this woman who is the face of it is the uh, was a carrier, and it's it's very convoluted, and and the the disease makes people like zombies, like in Twenty Eight Days Later. So like like it keeps struggling to be this like gritty real thing and then throw zombies in there and it's it's really hard to find its tone and again it sounds like i'm this is not a positive review for a movie in a top five but it's it's a fine movie it's there's nothing i don't think it does anything well but it doesn't do anything poorly it's it's entirely mediocre and and puts it just a little bit ahead of prince of persia for me it's yeah. I thought of it as like a you know a not quite Indiana Jones with the same sense of adventure, and instead of but having like no a hunky, sense of humor, no sense of humor. But yeah, instead, but instead of having a hunky professor question mark as the the protagonist, instead they had like a young English woman trying to you know find her identity at the same time. Like it, it the the ingredients come together nicely, and and I did sort of like. Like, they start to play with some serious mystical stuff, but they provide an explanation for it. It's like, maybe it was a mysterious curse. No, okay, it's a disease, you know? Maybe it was aliens. No, it wasn't aliens. Like, like that. They do find ways to keep it grounded. Like, they don't take that last step off the insane wagon that, like, Crystal Skull did, right? Right. Yeah. That's why... I, I, just so I appreciated that, like I, like I, I thought they did a fair job with that. Like the the games do a lot of like the original Tomb Raider nineteen ninety six was, uh, like you know Atlantis is in there and like like you know ancient cities in Egypt and stuff. Like they do they, like it gets a little it's, it works better in a video game, but like they could have gone too far is what I'm trying to get to. It just it feels to me like it needed to go more one way or the other, like either ground it more or make it more ridiculous. Cause sometimes she's like, she's gets injured. Like, like, you know, Indiana Jones gets injured in some of the movies and he's, you know, you see he's in pain and he's like grunting and struggling through it. And that happens to her in this. And it's like a nice twist on the action hero formula, except she recovers almost immediately. And then the next thing you know, she's doing these ridiculous leaps across chasms and, and climbing up and, and, it goes to almost superhuman levels of strength, which are, I'm sure, fine in the... They come from the video game. I'm sure there's instances of that. But it's like, pick a lane, you know? And in a video yeah. game, even when it's trying to be realistic and grounded, I think you can get away with it a bit more than you can in a, a live-action movie. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. That is true. It does sort of have a muddled identity. And and there was it was also kind of relentless, and, and Prince of Persia was very much like this too, where 
it would be like, here's a, and a, like in a video game, there'd be these moments where you'd get a plot drop and then there'd be these action sequences. And that's fine in a video game because when you're interactive and playing it, it's harder to absorb plot knowledge. It's easier to just have an information dump. But I wished in both of these movies that the action and plot details were a little more together. Like they, there's a part where she falls into the, she's being chased and she jumps into the this water thing and she's going towards a waterfall and then she climbs uh, onto this plane, this plane wreckage that's hanging over the the waterfall. She catches it and climbs in and she's lying there and recovering and then the plane starts to tip over and I think she she at one point basically looks at the camera and goes really and so she has to climb out of this plane before it falls down the waterfall and it was I, I stopped. You know, I didn't have enough energy left to worry about her. I was just like, let's get on with it. It was just too much. Yeah, it's yeah, varying levels of athleticism. It's, I, I go both ways on that a little, though. Like, I mean, like, look, we can, we can talk about it. Tomb Raider came out in 1996, the video game, and its big draw was that the protagonist was a 3D lady with big breasts. Yeah, like that's look like it had cool 3D graphics. It had some fun, but but that's the reason everybody played it. And when they made the first Tomb Raider movies in what like 2001 and 2002, and they put Angelina Jolie as you know Lara Croft, like they were definitely going for a empowered woman, but still a sex object thing. Yes. Right, and it's it's it, and it's it's not as gross as it was in the video game, but it's a little skeevy. Like in this one, they they were they were trying to find a way to make her a person a lot more than they usually do. So in a way, I kind of like that she's kind of badass. She can sort of hold her own. Like it's I I kind of want that. I want her to be strong. Uh, and and I but I just but yeah. I, I think she does a good job too, and and just to in in whatever I don't know if you need to say in its defense, but just to credit the original Tomb Raider movies, I think for a while there, the first one was the highest grossing movie with a, a woman as the lead character for a while. Also, I'm just noticing Daniel Craig was in it. Must be an exceptionally young Daniel Craig. But uh, yeah, the this one with Alicia Vikander, she's a, a beautiful woman, but they don't. They don't objectify her in the same way. Like she's she wears the tank top and and the shorts and stuff that the the character does, but it's never it just like she gets dirty and she gets injured and none of it is like the camera isn't leering at her the way it does in in older movies and in the video games and in the video games. <laughs> yeah. So I I just like I hear what you were saying. Her sort of skill set, like her power level, <laughs> it was is unset um but i kind of appreciate that it's that she's got chops so i'm I'm of two minds of it but but i do see what you mean about it being inconsistent yeah and this is something that may uh drop it further in your estimation it's edited by the director of star trek nemesis (laughs) (laughs) he got knocked back down to editing well that's i mean peter principle right (laughs) everyone's good at something up to a point yep okay what's your number four my number four uh, is two arguments in one. Uh, my number four, I'm going with Mortal Kombat. Which but, one? But of course, exactly right. <laughs> Which is is that they just made a new Mortal Kombat movie? Is it better than the original? My answer 
Yes, but. <gasps> so I'm doing with Mortal Kombat 2021 as my number four. Um, based on the video game Mortal Kombat from 1992, which is like a bunch of 90s action stereotypes all have to fight each other to save the world. And it is mostly famous because the game had blood in it, which is clearly the work of Satan, who is the devil, corrupting <laughs> the children of our youth, yada yada, moral panic, etc. The They made a Mortal Kombat movie in 1995, and at the time it was sort of... It was the best video game movie ever made up to that point. Um, we've discussed on the show before, like, 90% of that is because of the theme song, Techno Syndrome by the Immortals, which is by far the most memorable part of that movie. <laughs> it's a good song. But people have been clamoring for a real movie, and they tried to make one with this new one. Uh, it was released just a couple months ago. You can find it in all your streaming places. Uh, not actually streaming. you got to pay for it now, because that's how we're doing movies during the pandemic. But, uh, but it's out there. It features a bunch of people you've never heard of. And Joe Taslim, who was one of the martial artists from The Raid, uh, which uh, the, is just like the martial arts movie of the, the 2000 aughts. Yeah, for sure. It's amazing. Yeah. And also Hiroyuki Sonata, who's Hollywood's go-to Asian with a sword. He was in Lost as an Asian with a sword. <laughs> uh, he was in Endgame. He's the guy that Hawkeye kills. Ah. Just, if, if you need an Asian with a sword in Hollywood, you go to Sonata. And like, because he actually knows what he's doing. You might notice a theme here. They're casting like stuntmen and people who like actually know fight choreography rather than pretty boys. The story of the movie is exactly the same as it was the last time they made this movie and in the early video games. Um, Earth or Earth Realm is one of many realms, one of many different worlds, dimensions, what have you. Um, and different dimensions want to conquer each other and to sort of level the playing field. They say, well, you can't just go and conquer somebody. You have to pair off your best warriors in a tournament called Mortal Kombat and if you know the evil outworld is out there and they're they're going to win the mortal combat tournament against earth realms defenders and gain the right to take over earth and so our you know various fighters from all walks of life have to stand up and defend it and that's it that's that's basically it i mean certainly in the 1995 one that was the beginning and the end of the story unless you wanted to pause to wonder why they had christopher lambert <laughs> who apparently just like walked onto set one day and they figured out oh, what the hell let's have this guy play like an ancient buddhist thunder god well he he played a uh a scottish highlander in in highlander he's he's frequently cast in uh ethnically diverse roles let's put it that way i mean the ethnic is one thing if you watch 95 mortal Kombat, like he is He's something else. <laughs> anyway, this movie, um, it's pretty much the same thing. We've got a couple of arcs happening at once. There is no tournament in this movie, which for, is a bit of a disappointment for starters. We're leading up to the tournament uh, where Outworld is trying to cheat. They're bumping off Earthrealm's champions like before the tournament starts. Mm. And that accidentally falls into the lap of our protagonist, Cole Young. Um who I made a joke earlier that his name might as well be Protagonist Hero's Journey, but I'll cut to the end. He never finishes his Hero's Journey. Uh -uh. Um, he apparently is getting tied up in all this because he's the descendant of Scorpion, like an ancient ninja. And at the climax of this movie, instead of fighting the bad guy himself, uh, Cole Young summons Scorpion, who then 
wins the battle for him, basically. Um, look, the like anyway, that's everything else. Like it's Mortal Kombat. You don't need to know the story details. The best thing about this movie is that it decreases in quality rapidly as it goes. So if you only want to watch it for fifteen minutes, you're getting the best parts. Um, however, it is absurdly true to the video games in terms of character details, like everything from costumes to accents and performances and stuff. Like it is immediately identifiable who all these characters are. So if you're a big fan of the franchise, this is kind of like a little love letter to that, even though it doesn't really make a ton of sense to people who aren't a fan of the franchise. Why does this dude have a hat? That's also a circular saw and he can teleport into it sometimes, but whatever. (laughs) Um, so that's really awesome. And also, it, like, it's just, it's very professionally shot, which is kind of a silly thing to think, because of course, it's a professional movie, but a lot of these movies, again, video game movies, I, I think the budget is hurt, um, and people aren't taking it too seriously, but this one looks like it's a movie. And this is why, and I know I've been ranting for a while, I'll let you catch up in just a sec, but this is why I started this. I said the new one's better than the old one with a butt. Mortal Kombat is not a great movie, the new one. The old one wasn't a movie at all. It was this bizarre pastiche of fight scenes and ad-lib dialogue. It didn't make any sense, but it knew exactly what it was and everyone leaned into it. So it's a campy, schlocky, B-movie nonsense, and you can really enjoy it that way. This one, it's like it could have been a good movie, except for some weird, stupid decisions, and so it's kind of a letdown. Hmm. But it is really cool to watch. Oh, and also, in case you hadn't picked up on it, super, like, the violence is, like in Mortal Kombat, like, the gore is comic, but it is a gory movie. People get cut in half, people get blown up. This is a, this I mean, a whole that's, thing. That's what the, the video games became known for more and more. Like, as soon as there was the panic over the blood in the first one, every game since has ramped it up. Yeah, they try to outdo themselves in that. And it, it like it's it's comedy. It's very dark comedy. Um, but it is comedy. Like it, it is played over the top for a reason. And it just and but there are parts of it, like the opening of this movie, you can find it on YouTube because they knew very well to do it. If you just Google like the first seven minutes or something of this movie, and it opens in ancient Japan and it has the the confrontation between the two characters who are going to become Scorpion and Sub Zero, and it's this awesome semi magic super sword fight. It looks so cool. It looks like anything up there with the Marvel movies, easily. And then just the story can't quite hold it together, and it's a shame. But if you're into the games, this was a pretty cool tribute to it, and it's it's almost a real movie. Yeah, I feel like the, the fighting games like this, some of the most popular games ever put out on consoles are, are fighting games, these where you're, it's a... It's a small stage it used to be two-dimensional now there's some movement around them but you're you're just staring at two people and you button mash and and fight each other and they're easy to pick up and easy to play and they basically plot free most of the time you just you got your two guys and you fight until someone wins translating those into movies though it's it seems like a fool's errand and yet they keep doing it yeah. Well, because, again, it's outmoded thinking. It's people, well, look, these video games make a ton of money. People must love them. They must want a movie of it. Yeah. I mean, there's been 
what, at least two Street Fighter movies, at least two, well, no, definitely more than that it, of de- uh, It depends if you count movies. animated features. Yeah. Because um, then you're up to like four or five Street Fighter movies. And then Mortal um, Kombat's up there too. Yep, yeah, I think there's five, including animated. There's DOA, uh, and, and I don't know, there must be others oh, I'm yeah. not thinking of. It's anyway. The point being, it's it seems like it's a weird choice, um, and and it is. They're not thinking it through. Um, Mortal Kombat is one of those things like they've created a lot of lore for the universe. It reads a lot like a '90s comic book, but like the video game company NetherRealm Studios, they make Mortal Kombat and they make the Injustice games, and they have like like, like their style of making a fighting game is to have a lot of dialogue in it. Not necessarily like story might be strong. But a lot of character moments and stuff. And frankly, like the story in Mortal Kombat 11 was phenomenal. My wife and I would do like like for a few Friday nights in a row, we would play through it. And it's like, you know, we'd hand the controller back and forth. But just watching what happened to the characters was part of the fun. So like that meat is there. I mean, like Injustice is the the DC game. So of the these like fighting games, that's one I've I've played more than others, mostly to get the costumes. But I haven't even finished the story mode, and and the story's good. It's an interesting story, but it's it's not. I don't know. It's not up to the standards of the comic books or up to the standards of of a movie. I would say, and and because partly because. Whatever is going on in the story, it has to stop, and there has to be these arbitrary fights, because that's the point of the game. And you accept that in the game, because it's the mechanic. Comic books work like that a lot, too. They do, that's true. I I don't, I mean, I'm with you, I'm on your side, but that's sort of a facetious point. A lot of comic books are, here's some dialogue, and wait a minute, you're a superhero who's not usually in this book, now let's fight. That's true, but they are they better at that these days. It doesn't happen as much, but yeah, it, okay. I just found when I was playing the game, it was just it wanted to tell this this epic story, but it just kept getting bogged down with these fight scenes, and I it it kind of bored me, I, I, especially in a comic book. You read it, and there's like one fight a month, and then you stop reading, and then a month later you pick it up again. This is a continuing story where it's like. Every five minutes, they have to interrupt what could be a decent story with a fight. Yeah, that's just a flaw of the medium. I mean, it works when you accept that in the the game. When you're playing the game, you kind of you accept that up to a point. But in the in in a movie, it's exhausting. Yes, very much so. And you'd think that a movie setting or the setting is a tournament that would give you a great excuse to sort of fold those in there. But the person making this movie decided not to set the movie at the tournament. Interesting choice. I mean, I guess it's partly because so many of these movies have done a tournament thing at this point that it's, that's played out too. Yeah. Having it take place slightly before the tournament didn't help. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you that. Anyway, (laughs) My number four, Mortal Kombat 2021. Um, and so number four on my list, and because we all grew up with Mortal Kombat from 95, this movie is better, but the old song is better. <laughs> Let's move on. Okay, my number three is the Warcraft movie. Really? <laughs> oh I- my god. <laughs> I just watched that movie earlier today for this podcast, and I wanted to hang myself. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll I, I do want to discuss it, and, and I do think part of 
the, our different experiences with it are how we came to it. I saw it when it was released. I was on vacation and had some time to kill, and we were in a, a city in Europe, and it was playing. It was in English, and I was like, let's check it out. I had zero expectations, and I went in, and I enjoyed it. It was it was a fun romp. I thought the... the, the basically, the, the, the plot is that there's a uh, these aliens... I guess well, they're from another dimension, but they're they're called orcs, and they they their planet is dying because of an overuse of magic, and so they go to the human lands. They they open a rift through dimensions and go to this human land. They're gonna move everyone there, and they come into combat with the the humans of that world, and they're they're griffins and wizards and. They fight, and there's drama within the orcs, and there's drama within the humans, and it's all about trying to find a middle ground where where the two sides can, you know, come to a peace. And it's, I've simplified the plot a a lot, uh, but the plot is secondary to the beautiful effects, or what I thought were beautiful effects, especially at the time, and the... uh, respect for the source material that didn't that wasn't slavish to it 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 you've got a lot of familiar characters but it's you know the warcraft games are a top-down real-time strategy where you build villages and you build war machines and then the two sides fight each other those are the classic warcraft games world of warcraft is a whole different beast but that's the warcraft that i'm coming at it from and that's where a lot of these characters come from from the first three warcraft games uh but it doesn't force that perspective on you. It takes the story and does it in a a way that works for a movie. And you know, it's not the most original story or the most well-told story, but it was enjoyable. And, uh, there's some good performances, uh, especially like I, I'm a fan of Ben Foster, the actor, and he plays this wizard in it. And anytime he was on screen, I was like, what's this weirdo going to do this time? And, and he, he gives a good performance. There's so many interesting actors in it that, that helped elevate it too. It also has this interesting video game pedigree. Uh, Toby Kebble is in it as an orc, and he was one of the brothers in Prince of Persia. And Daniel Wu is a different orc, and he was the uh, helper, maybe possible love interest in Tomb Raider for Lara Croft. So it's it's a video game movie with a lot of video game going on in it. It's also directed by Duncan Jones, who's the son of David Bowie. That's a lot of tiny little miscellaneous details. <laughs> Um, that's this uh... movie. I will, I will agree with you that like the people who made this movie love Warcraft. Um, and that shines through in every single bit in the, in the little Easter eggs that reference things in the, like the performances of the characters who match who they are in the fiction. Um, the effects were very impressive when it was the orcs and it looked like this really cool, really high end CG film, and then the humans would walk on screen, and they would be wearing plastic armor with computer-generated helmets and live actors talking to these cartoons, and it just broke down for me almost immediately. And I just... The base of this story is, you know, orcs are coming using bad magic. Um, humans are going to try and stop them from opening their portal, and there are some good orcs who want to stop them from using the bad magic too. And then there are so many subplots that go nowhere, 
at one point towards the end of this movie, our magic user character goes back to his like council of wizards, and he's like, "I've I've, I've uncovered the secret. Tell me, tell me what the secret is." And the guy goes, "Oh, you mean the Adolai?" And we in the audience go, "Huh?" And he goes, "Here, it's this big black box." And the wizard walks into the black box, and an old woman tells him that, oh, yeah, the guy you thought was a good guy was a bad guy. You should go stop him. And he goes and does that. We're sitting there going, what the hell is this box? Where was this the whole movie? What does this have to do? And uh, and the good orcs. There's this whole thing in Warcraft where when the game was originally released, humans were the good guys and orcs were the bad guys. By the parent company, Blizzard, just, I don't know, there was some change in story direction behind them. And in all their games now, the idea is that nobody is a bad guy. Everybody has a story. So the orcs had to be remade as good guys. So we have to follow these good orcs who are giving birth to a character who's going to be a really good orc later. But none of that happens in this movie. Like, they have the kid, and then they're really grumpy about all the bad magic for a lot. And then good orc dad goes and exposes, like, the evil magic orc as a bad guy and dies. And all the orcs are like, wait, he uses evil magic. We shouldn't follow him. And the warlock says, yes, you should. And they go, okay, and go fight the humans. (laughs) Like, the, the plot just... Like, the reason that was there was for Warcraft fans to be, oh, that's Thrall. Right, well, he's in the movie. That's where he's coming from. And maybe if there's a sequel one day, we'll get to see how that turns out. But for this movie, we had to spend 17 years watching these characters. I'm telling you, like I felt my beard grow while I was waiting for these scenes to end. It was unbelievable. And they did. And at the end, like they don't like there's no like the A plot has nothing to do with any of these characters. Well, I guess that's another part of it. Like, when I saw it, it was in theaters, and and the original title for this movie, and I think what it was released as in some territories, was Warcraft The Beginning. So it fell into the trap that so many franchises did after, or in the wake of the MCU, where they were like... This is going to be a franchise where, and there's no no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is going to be a super successful movie, so we're going to start it as if it's going to be a franchise, and, and we'll, we'll, you know, we're going to take that risk. We're going to take that shot. And so there's all these things in here that are expected to be explained in sequels, but since there were no sequels, it, they just end up being these dead plot points. And but that's not a good justification. Like, no, you know, MCU started with Iron Man. Iron Man didn't have, uh, like, three other sets of characters to set stuff up. Like, imagine if 45 minutes of Iron Man were about Captain Marvel, like, her parents. Right. I agree, 100%. And, and in later MCU movies, they do kind of do that, and you accept it because you're like, well, it's Marvel. I know they're going to follow through on this in a later thing. I mean, we were doing that with... With what were we talking about? There was something where we were like, "Well, I know that'll pay off later, so I can I'll just accept that it's it's uh, hanging Chad here." I think we were when we were talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. There were little things where we were like, "Well, that wasn't resolved, but because it's Marvel, I trust that it will be resolved at some point." But we trust that. I mean, it's not even that it's Marvel; it's that there's twelve years of history. Yes. that that stuff can live in. That right, it has built that room. This is day one. And day one, like, like by the way, dwar- like, they have guns. 
Yes. But, like, that needed a little bit more of attention. <laughs> like, like the final battle, you have all these heavily armored knights with handguns <laughs> charging the orcs. And it's, you're sitting there, like, thinking, like, this seems like an anachronism. <laughs> well, it's fantasy, though, you know? Yeah, but, like, look, fantasy has very clearly defined rules, and you can put... Like, you can do that, but it needs a little bit more explanation. They do have the moon. The movie starts, he's with a dwarf, and the dwarf says, this is a boomstick. Aha, I guess he likes Evil Dead. Um, <laughs> and then that's it. And then everybody has guns. And What? And, and there's no explanation of the rules of the world we're in. Just this, this, so much of this movie went nowhere. It wasn't coherent. I and I, let me be clear: I am a fan of Warcraft. <laughs> I like that world. I have a model statue of Thrall in this room. I'm looking at right now. He's holding the Doom Hammer. He's got the black and gold plate. Very cool. But this movie was ridiculous. I like. I kind of like this the is the most like this is the most outraged I've been about a pick of yours on a dueling list for a long time. I like I was praying for a power outage or something because this movie would not end. I'm sorry. I, I just I, let me get my point in that I tried to say a while ago. Maybe part of the reason I was willing to accept things like that when I saw it was because I didn't know there wouldn't be a sequel. At the time, it seemed entirely possible that this was the beginning of a franchise, especially since, ultimately, it made a decent chunk of money, especially in, in I, There overseas. may still be a sequel. <laughs> Warcraft is still a very big franchise. Blizzard Entertainment makes a lot of money. Yeah, but when something is perceived as a, a failure, even if there's another Warcraft movie, I, I'm sure they'll distance themselves from this one. Like, I, I don't think it's going to make are, are either of our lists, but the Hitman movies. There have been two Hitman movies, and as far as I can tell, they're unconnected. And awful. And awful, yeah. I don't know, man. Warcraft just... <laughs> oof. I don't know what it was going for. Like, it wants to be Lord of the Rings, but with kind of a C.S. Lewis childishness and very cartoony, but uh, just, oof, I don't One, know. It, it, was, it just felt too disjointed to me. Well, I was watching some clips in preparation for this, and, and one of the things they definitely could have strayed from as far as the realism is, is that the orcs have, like, an underbite and big teeth that come up. And when they're CG characters, you can work your way around it. But <clears throat> Paula Patton plays, I believe she's half-human, half-orc, but she still has these teeth protruding, and so she's always talking like this, and it's hilarious and and difficult to understand her. Just for the dorks in the audience, yes, I actually, we, yes, I know she's half orc, half draenei. Don't get okay. me started. <laughs> but yes, no, she, she, it, it, I, I was shocked at how big a role they gave her in this movie. That was a very minor character in the first Warcraft game. <laughs> um, Although, to be fair, again, another thing Blizzard is famous for is they've retconned their own story so many times. Like, for all I know, now she's practically Warcraft Superman, for all I know. But, yeah, the, it, yeah, the makeup did not work in her favor. All right. We have to move on. What is your number three? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Warcraft. So my passionate. Num- yeah. My number three um, might not count. Ooh. Might just might just barely count. My number three, I'm going with Kingsglaive, Final Fantasy 15. 
Um, it did have a theatrical release in Japan and in North America. It was super limited. Um, it was this is a feature length CG movie developed entirely in house at Visual Works by Square Enix, the people who make the Final Fantasy video games. It arguably is not a real movie, quote unquote. It doesn't go through the usual Hollywood system, etc. So, up for debate. Okay. However, it's a pretty cool movie tied into the Final Fantasy series. Um, it stars a bunch of voice actors you've never heard of, but in leading roles, it's got Aaron Paul, um, the guy from Breaking Bad. It's got Lena Headey and Sean Bean. Um, Lena Headey is especially fun because she basically plays the anti-Cersei. She plays like a, like a young woman who's really like a, like a goody two shoes. It's it, it's it's fun to see. When was this released again? Uh, King's Glaive is 2016. Okay, so she was she was playing younger. She, yes, yes, okay. she was. Um, now they're all again they're all CG characters, so they can you know do basically whatever they want, but. Mm. Anyway, King's Glaive is released is essentially a prequel for the video game Final Fantasy XV, released in the same year. Uh, most of it takes place in the capital city of the Kingdom of Lucius, which all these words you're thinking of castles and stuff, but no, this is a modern city with highways and skyscrapers and etc. But also with some magic that they've worked in. Uh, this kingdom's at war with an evil empire because obviously, duh. Uh, the setting of the movie is essentially that the that they've lost the war, and the evil empire has come up to them and said, okay, here are the terms for ending the war, we're going to take over everything, but you get to keep your capital city. Your capital city has been protected by this magical wall, and we can't get past it, so fine, you just stop fighting us, we're going to take over everything else, you live in your capital, and fine. And everybody knows it's a trap. Like, they must have something up their sleeve. Um, but the king ag agrees to this proposition, and boy, does that not sit well with his king's glaive. The king's glaives are his personal bodyguard. They're his you know, ninja fantasy magic badasses. Um, they have magic daggers and throw fire from their hands. It, it, everything you'd expect from this kind of thing. Um, and they, as a symbol, are made up of immigrants to the capital city from all these other territories that the good guys used to control. And they've got this whole, like, well, we were fighting this war, and now you're giving our homes away. Like, and we still want to fight, and what the hell? And it turns into... I mean, like, I'm not going to, like, there's no reason, like, yeah, it's still a lot of fantasy, you know, magic, sword fighting and stuff, but it turns into this sort of geopolitical thriller. And the, our protagonists and the glaives are starting to uncover what's going on with this treaty. You can start to see the edges of the conspiracy. They know that something's up. Of course, there's traitors on the inside. And it builds and it builds and it builds. And just there's a moment in this movie where like a scene ends and the next scene starts. And it's like you know, they've got the news guy on in the background to deliver exposition. And he's saying, and, then, you know, and today, here we are. Today's the day of signing the treaty. And I realized when I was watching it, like I was on the edge of my seat. Like, what is going to happen? Like, they do a really great job of building up this action thriller thing. It is a very cool movie. Is And I'm going to put this directly to you, Graham, because I feel like you're the best guy to ask. Given its weird origin, though, does it count? Is it a real movie? Can it be on this list? <laughs> um... 
I will accept it. I mean, you've you've made a strong case for it. I personally, I avoided animated stuff and are, are like. I mean, fully Warcraft stuff. Yeah. was very heavily animated. <laughs> I have a feeling you may have a compl- similar complaint about other things on the list. Uh, but, yeah, I'll allow it. It's a Hollywood cast. It it had a theatrical release. I, I, I don't know that many people have heard of it, but that doesn't mean it's bad. And, and if it's actually a good movie, that, that knocks it up there, too. It's actually a good movie. It's It's not a great movie. Um, Square. This is the third movie that's come from directly inside their studios. The other two being Final Fantasy Spirits Within, which was barely comprehensible, and Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, which was a series of cutscenes strung together with characters from the game Final Fantasy VII. I love it, but it's not quite a movie. This one is a movie, and it's fun, and it's exciting, and it's thrilling, and... I just I've seen it several times now, which is rare for me anyway. But also that like when it gets to the climax and everything's in motion, I'm always like breathless because of the great job they do with the build up. This is the first one on the list that I can actually recommend. If you got an afternoon to kill and you like that, like what how that sounds, Kingsglaive, Final Fantasy fifteen, it's I, it's worth the rent. It's very cool. All right, I mean. I- I, I, you, you're selling me on it. I may have to check it out. I really remember when uh, Spirits Within came out, the Final Fantasy game, and it had a cast like Donald Sutherland, and and I remember the CG was groundbreaking for the time, and everyone was talking about it, and it is almost completely forgotten now. Yeah, it didn't go. Th- that was back when they had Aki Ross was their CG character, and they were saying, like, they wanted her to be a CG actor, and it was going to, like, be this oh, bold new world of, of digital characters and not needing actors and actresses. Um, maybe maybe a little early. <laughs> yeah, that might still be the future, but not yet. All right. Okay, so we're moving up to uh, number two on the list now. Mine is Detective Pikachu. Ah. <laughs> I also had Detective Pikachu on my list because this timeline, man, uh, but not my number two. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, what's your number two? Uh, my number two was Sonic the Hedgehog, <laughs> which is your number one, which right? Which is my number one. I can't These two movies, it. man. It's like, I can't. I was just saying, I can't believe I live in the timeline <laughs> where these two movies are great movies. All right. You go first. Hit us with Detective Pikachu. Okay, Detective Pikachu is what speculative science fiction would refer to as an altered world event, in that given the laws of our universe, of physics and thermodynamics, and like there's no way this movie could possibly exist, (laughs) but it does, and it's really good, and that's insane. (laughs) Pokemon... You have you've heard of Pokemon. I'm gonna like it came out in 1998, well, North America in 1998 on Game Boy. Um, kids live in a world full of these Pokemon. It's a portmanteau of Pocket Monster, um, all these little adorable creatures that become your best friends and pets, and also you make them fight each other. And it's and it's still considered good, even though it's sort of like a dog fighting thing. But anyway. <laughs> 
Then, a few years later, well, several years later, in 2016, they made a spin-off game, Great Detective Pikachu, where one of these Pokemon is uh, is a, a detective. That's it. And then they decided to make a movie based off that, and it sounded like the kind of thing a character at the end of a Lovecraft story would say before they tear a hole in reality. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but... Anyway, well, it looks like it makes sense that it would be a Japanese movie. I mean, this franchise is huge in Japan. The the everything about it's it is huge Japanese. here. Let's, it is. I mean, it is. You're right, but I don't know that the like the cartoon is big and the video games are big, but it's like a lifestyle in Japan. And, and do, I do feel you remember like, when Pokemon Go came out and like yeah. the entire world was outside in parks. Like, like, I remember coming to visit you to record this podcast, and we stopped to go for a walk with your wife so she could catch Pokemon. Right. <laughs> like, that, it's, it's big everywhere. <laughs> anyway, this movie opens with this kid who's not into Pokemon. Well, kid, he's like, he's in his 20s, and he works at an insurance company, but he gives off the impression of youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and he f- he hears that his father, this famous detective, has been killed in a car accident. And he's going to go to settle his affairs. And he goes to settle his father's affairs and quickly learns that everything is not as it seems. And he teams up with his father's Pokemon partner, a Pikachu voiced delectably by Ryan Reynolds, who plays Ryan Reynolds. I mean, like, he's kind of... Like, he he's, only plays one character, <laughs> like especially these days, because that character is is a great character. But he he's yeah. like a PG Deadpool. Yeah, exactly. So he is this adorable yellow fluffy mouse Pokemon who's voiced by Ryan Reynolds. Only he can understand, which is a weird thing because Pokemon usually only communicate by barking their own name. Uh, which is super convenient if you're trying to sell these things and you need the kids to be able to explain to their parents which one they want to buy. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, he could hear this one talk like Ryan Reynolds. Um, it has amnesia, but it knows it was Harry, his partner, his father, Harry, the detective. And uh, they're going to get to the bottom because they don't think he's really dead. They think he's faked his own death because of this complicated case. And he runs into sort of the, the stereotypical, like, aspiring reporter. Like, it turns out she's only the intern at the news company, but she's got dreams of being a big shot reporter. And she's investigating the detective's death. And she's adorable. Um, but she, she's on the case. And then it's... This sort of noir thriller with twists and turns and who's a good guy and who's a bad guy and who's working with who. And it's a really good detective story, but also it seamlessly integrates these CG characters into its world. And it's just you buy into it almost immediately. That, yeah, people in this world live with these sort of cartoony animal people partners that have superpowers and stuff. And they work in, like, you know, they go to an underground Pokemon fighting ring, so you can get some of the Pokemon battles in there, but you also see how the Pokemon just help out in everyday life, and you just, somehow, they smooth over this concept so gracefully that you accept it, and then it becomes this really intriguing detective thriller story and it's going a mile a minute and you never know what's going to happen next and it just it's it's a non-stop thrill ride till the end and ryan reynolds is hilarious throughout the whole thing um this i know it's on your number two and you can tell me why but i think this is the number one video game movie of all time <laughs> and this is coming from a guy who's not big on pokemon but i had a great time at this 
I yeah, I I I it was a tough call between the top two, and it might be recency bias why I went with Sonic because I watched it more recently. Um, I, I would say the the only things holding it back are like the the Pokemon have been updated a bit so they fit in a, a, a live action movie, so they look a little more more realistic, and so they're not as true to the the uh, source material as some of these other movies. Maybe that knocks it down a peg. Maybe it's just it sort of straddles the line between being a kid movie and a grown up movie in a bit of an awkward way. Like it's hard to tell what age group it's aiming for. But you're right; it's a very solid movie, and and I'm always up for uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds' Quipathon. He rarely disappoints when he's put in a role like this, and he's great at it. And I don't think there will be a sequel, and I think that's probably for the best. But I. I, I, I could watch more of just Ryan Reynolds voicing a Pikachu. Yeah, or heck, I could watch more of that world. Like this movie made me believe that you could make a live action. Like even if the next one isn't a detective story, even if it doesn't have Ryan Reynolds, that would be a terrible idea because you should absolutely have <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. But even if not, like, like, yeah, I can see a real movie happening here. Like this, they pulled it off in this. It was great, and and like. And there are a couple moments where Ryan Reynolds is also actually heartfelt. Like, it's not just him being silly. And I bought that, too. Yeah, especially when he's got the the adorable Pikachu face. Which is, like, doubly difficult. <laughs> but the but the actors pull... And, and let's be... Like, I mean, we should focus on that for just a second. Like, the actors are acting against nothing. The Pokemon aren't there. But not once did I feel like that was awkward. Not with the main characters, not even with some of the side stuff. There was never a moment where I said, like, I realized they were talking to a green screen. It was perfectly natural. Those, like, those things were there. It was just, it was, it's what, like, they, they went to such effort, so, so much yeah. skill. It, it just, and it just, I enjoy this movie genuinely so much. I, I, I did my third rewatch of it in preparation for this podcast. I went into it saying I'm just going to like refresh myself in it, but I ended up watching the whole thing. I had a great time again. <laughs> I impressive you you're you know, you're convincing me. All right, well, let me let me go into uh uh Sonic. Uh, here. Yeah, I think the compare is going to be where we figure this out for sure. Tell, yeah, tell us about Sonic. Uh, yeah, so he's yeah, it starts off with an adorable baby Sonic and this uh, long-running trend of baby versions of characters. Uh, I, I, following Groot and Baby Yoda, you, I'm surprised Baby Sonic didn't uh, take the internet by storm like some of the other guys did, because he is very cute. Anyway, he's being—I don't know a lot about the Sonic lore, but he's being raised by some sort of owl thing, and that was news to me. Um, but all of a sudden, these. <laughs> Other evil hedgehogs try to attack them, and she uses a ring to send him to another dimension, and he's got these rings that let him teleport all over the place. He ends up on Earth, and it lives in hiding there for ten years, and it just absorbs pop culture, and he lives in this small town, uh, I think it's called Green Hills, which is a nod to the video games, the first level is usually the Green Hills Zone, and... Yep. uh so he's doing that. Uh, he meets James Marsden, who's a bored cop in the small town who wants to go to San Francisco. He uh, 
Dr. Robotnik, played by Jim Carrey, finds this weird alien is on Earth and wants to, to capture him and figure out what's going on with him. And there's this chase across the country. Sonic's lost his rings in San Francisco. James Mars and Sonic have to go across the country and, and get these rings back. And, and Jim Carrey's... Let's be honest. He's playing Dr. Robotnik. He's Jim Carrey. He's chasing he's them. very Jim Carrey. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, my understanding is he basically ad-libbed the entire role. Uh, yeah, so they chase him across the, the country, and, and shenanigans ensue. He ends up in another dimension and ends up looking far more like the Dr. Robotnik of the games by the end of the movie. And uh, Sonic and, and James Marsden live happily ever after together in, in Green Hills. And there's a, a hint that uh, Tails is going to be coming. Well, and by hint, you mean clearly well, displayed on camera, yeah. <laughs> voiced. That, yeah, he's, That's yeah. what I meant, yes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's a very simple plot. It's this uh, classic for these sorts of uh, uh, kids movies where it's an animated character paired with a middle-aged uh, fading celebrity and they have shenanigans and, but it worked really well. It was, it was formulaic, but it it worked. I could definitely see myself showing uh, it to kids and, and uh, there's so many jokes that didn't quite land with me but i think a kid would really enjoy and then jim carrey's performance took me right back to ace ventura and the mask and and he was back to being very funny in a way i haven't really seen him in a long time so i i just enjoyed a lot of it uh all the way through it, it was it was nothing groundbreaking but it was a very fun movie and and fit the the character really well like that the pokemon franchise is geared very much towards children even though it's it's expanded into to all ages like people have grown up with it and they're still playing it yeah but it's yeah the yeah the children it was geared to are almost 40 so (laughs) but it's still very much a kid's franchise and so is sonic like the thing with sonic is people tend to outgrow it but this helps keep Finding a new generation, movies like this will keep that that character alive in a way that while Mario has been more successful as a video game character, I think Sonic has a chance, a better chance of being a more popular pop culture figure because of stuff like this. That's fair. I mean, I, I guess we haven't talked about it much, but on the off chance, like Sonic, like 1991, I think, right, it was the mascot for Sega, like essentially to compete with Super Mario. Um and did well for a while. Like, like, like the way Mario represented Nintendo, Sonic represented Sega Genesis. Yeah, uh, he just hasn't had the same flexibility that Mario has. Whereas, yeah. you know, Mario has done golfing and parties and, and every game now is a different style. Sonic kind of hit a <laughs> rut. I mean, he's been in pinball. <laughs> he's been in racing. He's, he's done stuff, too. I mean, but put never it this way. Like, quite nowadays, as successfully. Yeah, not quite as successfully. Nowadays, Sonic games are released for Nintendo products. Right. Like Sega, it didn't work out that way for them. Um, but uh, yeah, like for like the point being that when you were a kid, you had to be a Mario person or a Sonic person, right? A Nintendo person or a Sega, like not both. Yeah. Um, which is how we grew up with it. And so, I mean, listen, Mario got his movie a lot sooner, but he shouldn't be proud of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, apparently there's another one in the works. Maybe that'll top the list next time we do this. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so, yeah, I so yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. I, I am much more impressed with the Pokemon movie than I was with Sonic. And I think 
what it comes down to is that I think Sonic the Hedgehog, like you, the way you talked about how it's sort of generic, like you could take any video game mascot and have essentially the same movie. Like whether it's Sonic the Hedgehog coming from another dimension and budding up with James Marsden, or it's Super Mario, or it's Kirby, or it's like even a Pokemon, frankly. Like I like it was a buddy comedy and it was well done, but it was also very plain. Um the re- I, and I sort of you know, I, I was I didn't sleep through parts of it, but there are parts of it where it's just so predictable. Mm-hmm. That I was just kind of waiting, like, just, okay, enough of this. Let's get back to the next hilarious Jim Carrey part where he yells at him about lattes. <laughs> that, yeah. But that, I, that delivery and that line was, like, one of the funniest things I've yes. ever heard. I love the way you make them. <laughs> yeah. But, but what Detective Pikachu does only works in that world and with the relationships between those characters. Like, they, like they created an entire world that they had to do whereas sonic they just dropped sonic the hedgehog into this world and anyone else could have done it yeah i don't disagree i guess what it comes down to for me is that it feels like it nails its demographic better than detective pikachu does like i'm not sure i i enjoyed detective pikachu i just don't know who that movie is for yeah i think that means it's for everybody <laughs> Like I can, I I can imagine watching it with Rex, and I can imagine watching it like on my own because I have some time to kill. Like right. I, I, I think there's it. It appeals so well. Like the like Pixar are usually quoted as being the masters of this, right? They make movies for kids, so they keep it interesting enough that adults want to go see it too. I think Pikachu hit that, hit that mark, whereas Sonic is definitely aged down, and it's like. It just it, it, questions occur to you as an adult, where it's like, why wouldn't the police be involved in this situation, or you know, things like that? It's like where the answer is, well, because it's a kids movie. Yeah, and that's fine. I can accept that, but it didn't. You know, it just it didn't flow over that hill as well. I thought that's why it settled in number two on my list. All right, I I accept that, and I. You know, I think you're right. I think maybe subjectively. Detective Pikachu might be a more enjoyable movie for me, but I think Sonic might be the better video game movie, the better adaptation in in general. Well, it may be. That's and where I'm landing. And it's just, it's hard to argue with Jim Carrey and his yeah. transformation into that character. Like, like, he looks and behaves so much like the villain from the game at the end of the movie, but he starts off as just a normal, well, as Jim Carrey. <laughs> But still, as a normal guy. Yeah. I mean, God, but, and, and by the way, they had, like, there's that one sh- scene at the beginning of this movie, like the army Pentagon scene, mm-hmm. where they had, like, what's his name from Battlestar and all these, like, they got all the army. How did they get all those people for this movie? <laughs> well, I know for how this. they got him. It was shot in Vancouver. Ah, okay. <laughs> that helps. That helps. Yeah. Okay. He's weird. A, yeah. Yeah, uh, I just want to, the guy we keep talking about who's, who is uh, Robotnik's straight man, His uh, the character is Agent Stone, and he's played by Lee Mujdub, and I, I think that guy should be paired up with Jim Carrey in everything going forward. He's a fantastic sounding board for, for Jim Carrey to, to work with. Uh, it was great. He Yeah, he is a delightful and enthusiastic straight man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he and like, I, yeah, I could watch that movie just the Jim Carrey scenes, 
But like the, you know, Sonic wants to have a fun night out, so they go square dancing. It's like, okay, it's, it's cute, but ah, ha, 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 he wrapped up a guy in toilet paper. Like, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah. I, I hear you. There, there's definitely some scenes and some jokes where they didn't quite land, but I felt the inner child in me laughing at them. Because it would be like, if it was the first time I'd seen some of those jokes, I would have found them hilarious. But a lot of them have a lot of uh, wear and tear on them from overuse. And, and being a 35-year-old, I've seen them many times, so they didn't have the same impact on me. But if it was my first time seeing it, I think I'd adore this movie and a lot of the, the jokes in it. Yeah. Nope, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's a good point. It uh, less targeted. Yep. Okay, well, that's our list. I think we're going to come away from it like at a tie with one and two. Um, Warcraft, man, I just <laughs> killed me. But I'm glad you liked it. Like, it takes all types, you know, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I like kind the of plastic like... swords. Like, I just... <laughs> I, to me, I appreciated, especially rewatching the clips now. Like, I appreciated how, I mean, how ridiculous the humans' armor looked, but how true to the video games it was. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> like, like there are cutscenes in Warcraft where it looks more realistic than they looked in the movie. <laughs> anyway, All right, we gotta wrap yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, we 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 gotta. Uh, anyway, <laughs> those were our top video game movies. There are a lot of bad ones, but is there a chance? I'm saying no, but maybe there's a chance we missed one that should have been on this list. There's probably a few that we haven't seen, and if you wanted to fill us in, uh, like obviously this is a topic close to our hearts. Um, we would love to discuss it more. So if you want to let us know what ball we dropped, please. Graham, how can they get that to us? Please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're on Twitter at geektop5. Uh, we love getting your feedback. Uh, we're taking it to change what we're doing, and we're doing the episodes that you requested. Again, this episode was requested by Geek Top 5 fan Charles. Charles, thank you so much uh, for getting in touch with us and just for sort of being part of the Geek Top 5 community. Uh, we're doing this because of people like you. While we're giving out thanks, always want to mention extra thanks go to our musician-in-chief, Jamie Reum, the guy behind our theme song, a local Toronto area performer. Um, check out his stuff at Jamie Reum Official or Jamie underscore Reum on YouTube and Instagram, respectively. Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E. Um, not everything on these lists we can recommend, but at least those top ones, Pikachu, Sonic, Kingsglaive, maybe Warcraft. Uh, lots of, it's, it's, a lot of them are available streaming and for rent. And, you know, during the pandemic, you got to find stuff to, uh, to fill the time. And these may be things you haven't tried out before. Video game movies are not all necessarily terrible, um, but there's enough there to, to keep you busy until we have a chance to do this again. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>